In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may Maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite media. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks at Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm okay. It's just been an interesting week, all told. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we saying we live in interesting times is sort of a common thing now. <laughs> it's It's gotten beyond interesting and into concerning, or maybe even nightmarish. I'm not sure. What was it the old saying goes, may you live in uneventful times? No, it's the other way around. I think it is the interesting times bit. Like yeah. It's a curse. You curse somebody and say, may you live in interesting times. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, we are always living in interesting times, and uh, we're going to kick it off this week. Now, we were going to do uh, some long-form storytelling stuff, which we probably will still do in the future, uh, but we're going to take a detour today, and we're going to go through some of the questions that you, our listeners, sent in to us. Uh, so if you have questions for this or any of our podcast, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If you have a Patreon subscription with us, which, again, we thank you because that, that helps us keep going here, uh, you can go ahead and submit those questions to our Patreon Q and podcast questions uh, in Discord channel. Because, well, we tend to look there first to give our Patreon supporters a little bit of a, a way of saying thanks uh, by giving you first billing. And if you can't do that and uh, you don't want to send us an email, there is a Q and podcast questions channel on the Discord uh, for everybody else. And we do look there as well. Uh, just, again, specify the show that it's for. We have a lot of them now. There's a lot of shows. All right. So this one is going to go from Biafari, Blightblade of Wildhammer. I was thinking about changes my many alts will have due to their time in the Shadowlands. And it got me wondering, how is this experience going to impact the eternal hunger that all Death Knights are supposed to feel? Legacy Death Knights are told by Instructor Resuvius that the endless hunger will soon take hold of you, Death Knight. When it does, you will feel pain immeasurable. There's only one remedy for the suffering. The hunger must be sated. Is it the same as the presence that Morgrain and the other four horsemen felt disappear during the We Ride Forth short story? Was it domination magic and a connection to the Maw that was causing all the pain for the DKs? And now that the conduit is broken, they no longer need to inflict pain on others to keep their own at 
bay. Most importantly, does this mean I can have a DK that's not a total edgelord? Well, quite frankly, if you have a DK who's a total edgelord, that's on you. You could always play them like they weren't total edgelords. Not everybody deals with chronic pain the same way. I didn't care. My death knight, my death knight was an edgelord. I just shopped at Hot Topic a lot. Yeah, my my death knight was actually cheerful. Actually, much happier than they were when they were alive. But regardless, um, this is a big unit we don't know because it hasn't been strictly speaking stated one way or the other. It's quite possible that death knights feel that pain not because of domination magic or the presence that you mentioned from the short story, but simply because they are dead but not done moving. They are mm-hmm. they are a violation of the natural order. That's just a fact. If you're undead of any kind, be you a forsaken, be you a scourge, be you a death knight, you are a violation of the natural order. This is not how your life is supposed to work. Life and death aren't supposed to cross like this. You're not supposed to have a dead thing wandering around inside the land of the living. Just like you're not to ha- supposed to have a living thing wandering around the land of the dead. Uh, now, we didn't get any kind of weird vampiric hunger while we were in the Shadowlands, but that would, you know, kind of track because it's not like they were the Shadowlands are doing anything to keep you alive. If anything, we should have probably have been getting sick. You know, because everything around us is dead and it's death itself and we're constantly hanging around there. But, you know, I understand that they didn't want to have to deal with that from a storytelling perspective. Yeah, but I, there's just there is no there's no answer to your question. Um, well, there's speculation. We I was going to say I was going to say I have speculation. Yeah, there's tons of speculation. If you'd like some speculation, Joe and I have that for you. I'm going to let Joe do his and then I'll do mine if mine isn't the same. We have about a 40% chance that we probably came up with the same thing from different directions. So I'm going to let him go. So the, you mentioned that in the short story, when they talk about the, the, we ride forth and they felt that presence sort of lesson. And the fact that we learned that the helmet domination ties back to the jailer, it feels like the helmet domination, even without that name is definitely something that would exert a certain amount of influence or pre-programming through it. And we know that the, there's a couple factors here, so bear with me here while I get to the, the the apex here. The what Matt said about the undead always, you know, having sort of that I don't want to say wrongness to them, uh, but feeling pain or feeling something akin to that. We know that's true, right? We've we've talked to Liliana Voss about that. We've talked to um, a bunch of the other undead and forsaken that we've interacted with. Talk about you know feeling that pain. Look at the. Uh, Shadows Rising book where we talk about or where they, they show the um, I can never remember her name the warden that was raised uh, but she's always angry and we talk about we talked before about how like being forsaken raises your like a certain emotion or a certain aspect of your personality to kind of be bigger or sort of like amplify it whether that's pain or anger or anguish or whatever the case is they never seem to be good qualities they always seem to be something that is a uh, negative then you look at the Death Knights, there is a possibility that that hunger wasn't necessarily natural hunger, but it was, I'm going to compare this to Warhammer 40k because it's probably the best comparison I can give. There's a, a group of Marines that they were called the the Hounds of War at first, then they're called the World Eaters, and they're uh, basically their Primarch Angron decided to shove weird mechanical nails into their head that the only way that it would relieve the pressure that it would be of them drilling into their brain, this is very grimdark, I apologize, would be to kill, 
right? That that was the release for it. That's how it was programmed to do. It's entirely possible that what you're getting at here with the Helmet Domination is po- like true, right? Is not only did they already have the negative uh, traits of being undead, whether it was hubris or over unerring sense of, of duty, which can be a negative. Let's, you know, look at White Mane um, or some weird... I don't want to say weird psychosis, but like whatever personality flaws amped up now associate that with they are constantly feeling pain unless they do something to lessen it. And they're basically being turned into whether consciously or subconsciously by the helmet domination or in this case, the Lich King uh, to torturers and essentially devils to lessen that. It's just like a perfect storm, right? They don't have the the humanity to fight back against it completely. And whatever is there, whether it's the domination magic or literally part of the jailer's plan uh, to make these essentially warriors or or bodyguards uh, want to do that, because we also see this reflected in the sanctum of domination. We see that's what the torturers are doing. That's what the things he created are doing. And they look awful, an awful lot like Death Knight armor that's been infused with anima. Like, that's what they do. That's the entire purpose of it. So there is a possibility that when they felt that presence lift it was the jailer's influence through the helm lessening. Now, what that means now that the helm's been reforged into the, the crown of wills, no idea. But there is a possibility therein. And I think that that might be some truth in, in there, maybe. But again, it's all speculation because we don't know. Okay, Matt, your turn. Um, basically, one of the things I've been thinking about uh, ever since we found out that the jailer didn't create domination magic or the helm of domination, that it was based on ideas from the Primus over in uh, Maldraxxus. Yeah, rune magic, right? It's like, look at what... Yeah, but specifically the domination magic. That was what they used to trap the Jailer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Jailer himself was under the effects of domination magic. What does that mean? What does domination magic actually do? Like, we've never heard a full explanation of what this stuff actually does. I can tell you what fell magic does. I can tell you what arcane magic does what divine magic does what the the primal energies that the nature's like you know shaman and druids draw upon we know what that does we don't know what domination magic does we know that it's involving with runes we know that it's a kind of subset of rune magic we know that the domination uh the, the helm of domination and frostmorn were both made by it um so it's similar to rune blades and rune items but it's specific what is it doing how does it work? How was the jailer bound? Was the jailer bound in the same way that the death knights are? Like, here's the thing to think about. Are the eternal ones part of the realm of death? Just because they seem to be in charge of it doesn't mean they're actually part of it because they can die. And or are someone they just else bound can, there? Well, they can stop doing their job for whatever reason. And you can just make somebody else do it. You can take a piece out of the jailer and make that piece into the arbiter. You can actually take the arbiter part of him out and, and make it its own thing. Or you can give it to somebody else, like with Pelagos. There's there's an aspect to the Shadowlands and to the nature of the things that come from there that feels like we're not getting the full, the full story of it. And the Primus, for me, is the big... Why did he have this? Like, why did he have a means to bind the Jailer? Did he did he have that going beforehand, or did he come up with it on the spot? If he came up with that on the spot, that's like that's up there with Gul'dan just kind of coming up with the idea of Death Knights out of like just out of saving his own butt. Like he just he was like, ah, okay, we need to trap him. Sure, I got something, you know. 
I've seen lots of people talk about the idea that maybe the Primus is the bad guy of this whole thing. Maybe the Primus is like secretly behind everything. But for a moment, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on Maldraxxus itself. Because each realm is a reflection of its creator, right? Mm-hmm. And they all kind of created these realms. Like, before uh, the Winter Queen showed up, Ardenweald wasn't anything. Denathrius literally says, I am Revendreth. You know, the, these realms are inexorably tied to the being that, that shaped them. The, uh, Ar- the Archon's realm is very much what you would expect from the Archon. So Maldraxxus is essentially a giant festering corpse that the people, the beings on it are literally drawing stuff out of it. You see them do this. They make their armors and weapons out of the material of this enormous festering corpse that they're standing on. And domination magic was created by the guy who thought that was great. That that's literally, it's a, it's like a metaphor for conquest itself because you literally kill things and, you know, rule on top of their corpses. That's what conquest is. And in the realm of Maldraxxus, conquest is eternal. It's what they are doing all the time. When they're not busy fighting something, attacking the Shadowlands, they're fighting each other. So what is domination magic all about? Is it, is it about literally that about about victory about dominating your opponent about conquering them like what's going on with it and what does it do to death knights if it is the the reason death knights feel that pain why is it the reason they feel that pain is that to motivate them to go forth and dominate something like is that what they're doing to address the pain is it not just hurting other people but by using your power displaying some kind of domination or dominance over something else like there's, I I don't know that I think the pain is because of domination magic. I th- I think that it might not be, but if it is, I think it's because domination magic has not really been explained or explored. Like we don't know what this is actually doing or what it's really for. And I don't think that. I think it's interesting that when he reforged it, the Primus made it into this like indomitable helm. What is the name of it now? The Crown of Wills. The Crown of Wills. Or Helm so of Wills, the- something like that. That seems like will is the opposite of domination magic. Will is the thing that the domination magic dominates. It's the thing that opposes it. Removal of free too, will, which would not to get not to get too Green Lanterny here, but you know we we know that under the, in the Green Lantern myth, mythos, will is the power that fuels the Green Lantern ring. There's other there's emotions that power all these other rings, but will isn't an emotion. Will is the ability to essentially control your emotions. Mm-hmm. And project them forward into the world. And domination would literally be the inverse, right? It would be the ability to suppress someone else's emotions. To to, to prevent them from doing what they want to do. And making them do what you want them to do. So how would that affect a Death Knight? Who's literally a shambling corpse. Who's only alive because somebody else wants them to be. And they're not alive. But it's only, only moving. Only in this form. Because someone else wanted them to be. Well they've lost control of their existence, haven't they? So is the pain caused by that? Is it the pain literally the, 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 the sense of, you know, I've lost even the ability to die on my own? Even, even that is gone from me? And why do you need to inflict pain to continue? Why is there a hunger to inflict pain? Like, what are you getting out of it? Are you basically saying to the domination, no, I am still here. I do still matter. I do, the things I do affect others. They change the world. I am here. I don't know. I have no idea if that's what it is. But it does interest me that we, you know, the Primus was making it for something. We know that Maldraxxus is all about, you know, fighting ideologies. It's all about these various houses 
going going to war with each other constantly. And nobody wins in Maldraxxus. That's something you really have to think about. There's no victory in Maldraxxus. Nobody wins because it's eternal. It's an eternal conflict. You don't win an eternal conflict. If, if it has a victor, then it's over. And that's not how Maldraxxus is set up to be. Maldraxxus is set up to be like this forever. So that's worth thinking about when it comes to the Death Knights and the pain that they feel and how it might impl- it might go into domination magic. Because Death Knights, in addition to all the other things, Death Knights could last forever. Or at least they could last forever as long as there's somebody to hurt. And that's what, what kind of horrible fight is that? Imagine that. Once you get done, like in a way, Azeroth is the best possible place for them. Because anywhere else in the cosmos, once you got done hurting all the things that maybe deserved it, what do you do now? You know, it's, it's not like, okay, I still have this eternal need to, to put pain and suffering out there, but there's nobody who deserves it anymore. But on Azeroth, you're never going to run into that problem because there will always be something. Always. If, if all the other threats on Azeroth stop tomorrow, new ones would literally just show up. So that's worth considering too. Like this is, if you think of this as a way to make a disposable weapon, it, it's not because the disposable weapon is never going away. So that's, that's my take on it. That's what I'm thinking about, but I don't have an answer. Like I, I think you could play your death Knight as dealing with it. However you wanted to, even if they didn't say, if they said tomorrow, Nope, death Knights still feel all that. You could still play your death Knight However you want to, oh, like, sure. they don't have to, they don't have to be like that. You, you can absolutely do like a full on as grim, dark as you want, you know, like my life is miserable pile of secrets type thing. You know, you could, you could totally Castlevania this, but you don't have to. Um, you could also do like you know un- the undead version of Friendship is Magic. If that's if that's what you want to do, you absolutely can. Just remember that you know some of the happiest people you're ever going to meet, some of the funniest people who've ever lived were in horrible pain. That's why they were funny because they they didn't want anyone else to feel that way. Like there's a lot of depressed comedians. So your your Death Knight could crack as wise as you want. They could tell a lot of jokes. That's basically all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, then I guess we're going to go ahead and move on to the next one. And this one comes from our friend, Lord Soth. Well-met watchers of frozen weather. It is I, Lord- I guess a speaking of death Knights, Lord Soth, really? <laughs> Come on, man. We, we both play Dragonlance. We know, we know, we, we, we know. Anyway, go on. Uh, investigating the mysteries of the world known as sanctuary. Uh, we know that originally there was only Anu who then split themselves in, in it in two upon those dying they further fractured tathomet splitting into the seven evils why is it then that despite our numerous slains of diablo he does not fracture further but instead returns to life in the hells what has caused this fracture into smaller and lesser forms to cease with the evils if if we know uh if we don't know it would be very intrigued to hear your theories now i'm sure matt has opinions on this and i'm just going to kind of let him go Okay. Well, first off, we don't know. It's never been just, it's never been said. Why don't when they die, they don't turn into like six more guys. Um, but I mean, we have seen that they don't exist in the same way that Tathamet and the the Diamond Warrior form of Anu did. Mm-hmm. Uh, for starters, they have children, so they have fractured into smaller pieces by reproducing. Whereas previously they, they sort of reproduced by being killed and then splitting up into little things like Tathamet had seven heads. Those seven heads became the seven evil, but then the seven evils started having offspring. And it's also, it's possible that the, the various creatures in the hells are also spawned out of Tathamet's corpse because it's described as wriggling with like death and maggots and so forth. So 
other lesser demons may also have come from Tathomet. And then they started combining with other things. And also, the Diamond Warrior Anu doesn't split into anybody else. Mm-hmm. He doesn't become the, the, the Archangels are not like fragments of Tathomet. Tathomet's, I mean, I'm sorry, of Anu, the Diamond Warrior's spine is the Crystal Arch. And the Crystal Arch radiates vibrate, you know, vibrations and, and radiance that creates Archangels. But it's not splitting them off from itself. They're not like buddings. So it's interesting to consider this, that, that, that evil and good have different ways in the Diablo universe of propagating themselves. I shouldn't say evil and good because... Primal forces. Primal forces. It's kind of hard. You know, you could say something is good without it being nice. And I guess that's kind of the way the, the archangels are. They can be concerned with good on a cosmic scale, but willing to do things that are not good on a smaller scale. Like say for the entire population of sanctuary, um, but in terms of that, I think that that's the main thing to take away from this is that they don't at this point for whatever reason they've started combining and recombining. Like you've you've got, for instance, uh, Mephisto has multiple children, one of whom is Lilith. Lilith is the daughter of of Mephisto. We don't know if he just butted her off. We don't know if there's some other demon out there somewhere that he had her with or her brother Lucian. We we don't know. Like there's no, there's nothing out there that tells you who Lilith's mother is or if Mephisto is both father and mother to her. That that's not in the game. There's not in any of the lore. It's not in any of the books. Yeah. I was going to say the only, the only really confirmed reproduction that we know of is the, uh, besides humans, uh, is the Nephilim, which were the result of the, the union between angels and demons. But like, we don't know really ultimately how demons reproduce. Other than what we've seen with that, uh, we know that their demons have existed prior to that. So it is it is an interesting concept to think of. Like we don't have a whole lot of information on it. I'm sorry, I don't mean to yeah. like jump in there, but like no, no, that's that is a good point. I mean, there's there's some. I want to say I don't want to say implication, but there's some inference that you can make that they come from Tathomet's corpse itself because mm-hmm. Tathomet's corpse itself is the burning hells, and all the realms in the burning hells are part of Tathomet. They are. And- and the same yeah, so, the same argument can be made though with angels because yeah. they're because well, we of the, the way the angels, spine, right? Yeah, we know the angels come from the crystal spire. We we know that if you kill an angel, their essence goes back to the crystal spire. A new angel will be created, but it's not the same angel. It doesn't think, of the life experience. I think that's come that's the interesting part to me though, right? Like that I think is really in, like intriguing. Where demons in this particular case, uh the major demons that we've seen stay the same and theoretically like uh, uh we're gonna see Andariel and in, in diablo 4 i believe confirmed right Andariel and duriel Andariel. um so like they maintain a level of presence of self one would one could presume but the demons seem to be able to do that why is that why is it that demons can do that but it seems like the, the reproduction of angels or at least just in general angels being reborn in that cycle aren't uh, I will point out that the difference is, is that we haven't seen any angels except for one die on the mortal realm. Tyrael, correct? Yeah, and Tyrael reformed with his re- personality intact when he died on the material realm. Mm-hmm. And that's where all the demons we're talking about we've seen die. Not well, not true, right? It because is, because the ones that died in the soul stone only died in the soul stone. Remember that the soul stones were all set up to upon their destruction be sent to the black soul stone. So when the soul stones were destroyed, 
theoretically destroying that demon. What actually happened was their spirit was sucked into the Black Soul Stone. What so, about and well, and that's where Diablo's essence went after we defeated them in Sanctuary, not Sanctuary, in the uh, the Crystal Spires, right? No, uh, they turned back into the Black Soul Stone. Okay, they were they, they were the Black Soul Stone the whole time. Like when you see the Diablo in Leah, that's the Black Soul Stone because when you see him fall off of the Crystal Spires, he turns back into it. And they collect it. And the angels are like, what do we do with this? And that's why Tyrael recreated the Haradrim in the first place was to put the Black Soul Stone somewhere where nobody could find it, but to get it the heck out of heaven because it was messing the place up. And when they did that, that's when uh, Malthiel showed up to get it. So it was still, ne- at no point did their, sp- did their spirits go where they would have gone when they were destroyed on another plane of existence. But we know that in the wrath short that uh, Imperius snaps and kills Diablo so that Diablo doesn't Diablo taunts him into doing it. So they can't like take him somewhere and use the angelic version of torture to get anything out of him, which is what they intended to do. They intended to capture him and bind him somewhere where he couldn't be released. So that's the only time we've seen a demon die in in the another plane of existence and and been told that he came back and he did it on purpose to come back but we also know that unlike angels demons have their own pocket realms that's where they go when they die they go to their pocket realms their subdivision of whatever the hells are right that's that's even if you play diablo immortal it actually happens like if you beat scorn at the end it's pretty obvious that diablo himself is somehow infused into that realm and speaks to you after you beat scorn. So there's a lot of the, the relation between the danger, the, the dangers, the demons and the angels, the angels meet the angels. Sorry. Uh, but there's a lot to that relationship that I think is basically inverse symmetrical. Like every place where the demons are static, angels are fluid where the demons are, are chaotic. Angels are stable. They're like, it's like, have you ever heard of that the technique they came up with for making sound muffle? Where they they set, they don't try to hide the sound that they don't want you to hear. They make an exactly inverted sound wave mm-hmm. to try and cancel out the troughs. And it's, it can be done with a computer, but it's extremely difficult to do because you have to have exact sound you know, performance. You have to have the sound projected out at the exact place and exact time. So it hits exactly when the other sound wave hits. So it will cancel it out. I feel like that's what angels and demons are, but in a metaphysical sense. And that's why when the Nephilim were created, they have so much power because they cancel out the division of, of, you know, Anu and Tathamet and go back to the primordial Anu and the primordial Anu could do anything because it was everything. And that's where their power comes from. It doesn't come from the, the same, you know, for lack of a better word, biased sources as angels and demons. Angels and demons are the descendants of these two primordial forces. But those two primordial forces used to be one being. And I think that that's a big part of why angels and demons are so different. Because they they very deliberately were the result of a difference. The, the original primordial Anu looked into itself and saw, hey, I have the potential to do all these things and all these things. I only want to do these things. So I'm going to rip out the potential to do everything else and get rid of it. But humans and the Nephilim that we descend from have that potential. We can do good or evil. We can do you know chaotic or, or orderly. We can do anything. 
We can, it can be conceived of and done. Even when angels turn corrupt, they're orderly about it. Mm -hmm. Even when demons try and be good, they're chaotic about it. Cause there is one in the lore who, who is actually trying not to kill people. Um, so yeah, it, it is interesting to think about. I think you are right in that there's a, there's an inverse struggle here where like the, the demons retain who they are, but I think the demons retain who they are because that's a selfish thing to do. You know what I mean? No, no, I mean, it makes like, sense, right? Like, like you, you have a stronger sense of self when you are selfish. There's a reason that narcissists can weather almost anything because they, they have an unshaking conviction in their own superiority. And that's every demon. I mean, very true. I, I don't, I mean, you know, way more about Diablo than I do. So I'm very happy to, uh, to get your take on it, but it is, it is an interesting inverse relationship. And I think you might be onto something with that whole, the selfish versus the selfless. And, you know, the angels being orderly and adhering to this is the way the process works and just kind of do it. Because even even like Malfiel, like when he decided to go against the natural order of things, he really kind of was very orderly about it, wasn't he? He was systematic in what he did. You can even argue he didn't decide to go against the natural order of things because death is a part of the natural order of things. True. He just decided to do it at a grand scale. It's like he basically for angels, death is a hard thing to understand because even when they die, they know they won't die. The, the thing that is them will continue. They just won't remember any of it. The the thing that comes out of the crystal arch will still, it'll be like wisdom. So, you know, eventually there will be a new angel of wisdom out there. That angel of wisdom won't be Malthiel though. So it's like they have a reincarnation cycle, but they still believe in it, that it, that it is the way things are supposed to be. But human death it's 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 not something they understand. There there are plenty of mortal creatures in the universe. The way they die isn't the way angels die. It isn't the way demons die. So yeah, I th- I think it's fascinating to see what Malthiel became and the fact that you you only beat him by basically doing the same thing by accepting the natural order of things and letting it you know letting your your mortality be the biggest part of you. The the Nephilim beats Malthiel not with power but with understanding of that power. And it is really, there's a lot to this I'd love to see get explored more. I don't know that we're going to get that in Diablo 4. I have no idea what Diablo 4 is going to be about. Um, I'm actually kind of happy about that. I'm looking, really looking forward to what they're going to do with Lilith and, and what her role is going to be. Is she going to just be the big bad or is she got more going on than that? Because she always has kind of had more going on. But at the same time, she's very, she very much wants to, to win the eternal conflict, which is, we talked before about that. You know, like if it's an, if it's, if it ends, it's not an eternal conflict, you know, in order for it to be an eternal conflict, it has to be eternal. She wants it not to be eternal. She wants to basically Malthiel at his heart wanted everything to go exactly the way it's supposed to go. And that meant killing all humans because they have demonic taint and aren't supposed to exist. Lilith doesn't want anything to go the way it's supposed to go. She's thrilled that humans exist because they have demonic taint and angelic taint, and she can use them to win and to basically upend the apple cart of the, of existence. The thing that Malthiel in his heart wants to maintain at all costs, even if it means blowing sanctuary up, she wants to upend at all costs. There's a fascinating difference here that I would love to see more of. Agreed. And hopefully we'll get a little bit more of that when uh, Diablo 4 starts uh, coming closer to uh, release, because I really want to know what the whole deal is. We'll get there, though. Uh, But I'm going to move on to the next question, which is from Roxy. 
Uh, it is I, your friend Roxy, Goblin Shaman, and I am catching up on Lorewatch. I heard Roxy make a passive comment about how being good bargainers makes Goblin really good shaman. I started playing in Late Cata and have mained a Goblin Shaman since uh, Warlords of Draenor. My understanding is when Goblin Shaman were first announced, there was quite a bit of pushback that they shouldn't be allowed to be shaman. I want to know your original reactions to the reveal of Goblin Shaman and what lore either justifies it or doesn't. Uh, so... Where Matt has strong feelings about Diablo stuff, I have strong feelings about Shaman stuff. Honestly, I was pretty pleased when Goblins were announced initially because it further proved the idea that anybody in any culture could be a Shaman. Because in the grand scheme of things, Shaman are one of the more, I don't want to say less orderly of the the esoteric groups, but they tend to be a little more individualistic um, while druids all sort of have their own kind of like focus that they go through. Um, and it is culturally focused. They're probably the closest to shaman in that regard, but the way that a, uh, you know, a, a Tuscar shaman celebrates shamanism and worships the ancestors and does its thing. And, and its relationship with the ancestors and the elemental spirits is much different than the way the Drenai look at it. And it's much more different than the way uh, the Volpera look at it. Um, but like the idea of goblins being able to do it makes a certain amount of sense. Elementals on Azeroth in general tend to have a very, depending on when you catch them, they're not necessarily immediately going to murder you some of them will talk with you and it becomes a very transactional thing and it always has been it's always been sort of described as that a traditional shaman not a dark shaman makes bargains with the spirits of the elements it looks for a sort of symbiotic relationship with them what can i do to help you and what can you do to help me and that's very much a a goblin sort of wheelhouse is i'm gonna cut a deal Right now, generally speaking, we tend to look at goblins as trying to to look out more for themselves, but their entire society is based off of making deals and brokering deals and exchanging currency. Um, I believe at one point, Matt and I refer to them as like the Ferengi of the Warcraft universe, and it's sort of sort of accurate, right? Like go back and watch some old episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and you go get the glimpse of the Ferengi homeworld and their government, like you go to a government building you want to use a chair? You got to dis- you got to deposit a couple strips of latinum. Uh, goblins, you want to go to the party? You got to pay a certain amount uh, to have a seat or a drink or whatever the case is. There is nothing that is free. Um, everything is transactional, and part of the beauty of that is that's very simplistic and very easy when you're dealing with them because you know that at the end of the day, you don't have to convince them to do something. You just have to pay them. Or you have to come to an agreement. It's not like, do this out of the kindness of your heart. Um, and that works sort of for the elements, right? Because they want something out of us. And a lot of times you'll see like conversations with throwing the elements or or a lot of the other shaman in the elements, you know, bartering, well, this will be good because of this. And this will be good to this. Goblins are very point blank. No, you. I would need you to do this. I will do this for you. Equal exchange. Let's go. And it makes it a lot. It makes a lot of sense. And I was always okay with this. And I know some people weren't weren't on board with it, but I think it's good. And Volpera are very much in that same wheelhouse. And I didn't see nearly the backlash to Volpera Shaman that I did the original Goblin Shaman. And Volpera are very much the same way. 
they're nomad merchants, right? That's, that's their whole deal. Uh, they have a very transactional relationship with things as well. And even when you're like doing their quests, it's, it's very obvious once they're freed that that's kind of where they, they rest, but like, it's the same thing. So I was always okay with this. I was always very happy with it. And as things went on further and further, it made more sense. Like they're the goblin totems being mechanical creations fits because that's how they would view the elements fire is a fuel right so why have not why would you have something else like that um look at uh dwarf shaman dwarf shaman have uh essentially a totemic relationship that represents how their clan culture is it's the crafting hammer with the feathers and and all that other stuff and it's really good the the jernai one are made of crystal because they tend to think of everything in forms of crystal because that's what their found the foundation of their society was built on uh the tuscar i think are carved in bone when you do actually see uh the semblance of tuscar shaman uh which fits with their you know sort of like fishing lifestyle uh, like that that's a thing that that fits so like having goblins fill that role and having them be transactional and having them be mechanically inclined i think fits perfectly and i think it always has fit did you have any initial reaction when they were announced, Matt? I mean, I was playing mostly Alliance when the, uh, the announcement came, and I only switched to Horde after. Um, I didn't. I wasn't strongly invested in Goblins. I I don't think I've ever really played one past like level, just the starting levels. You know, just so you get to see the starting experience. I I don't. They don't like. I don't have a big thing for them. But I didn't. I didn't think there's. I could make a case for literally any race in Warcraft being a shaman. Yeah, they all it, it would take. It would take no no effort at all. Um, it doesn't. And the thing is, is you have to like think about what you mean by transactional, because you can do this in a. The approach can be in a lot of different ways. It can be the goblin approach is nakedly mercantile. It's it's literally quid pro quo. I do for you, you do for me. It's exactly like if you went to a mafia don. Yep. You know, as long as you execute what you promised, they execute what they promised. For orcs, clearly, it is not like that. Orcs like to build a relationship uh, for orcs. It's like the spirit of this, the spirit of that. My ancestors, this, this lake we live near the, the forest itself, the uh, fire we're going to use to burn our enemies. Like they, they like to have a relationship, but that's still in the end, like a friendship is give and take. It's not, you would never call your relationship transactional, but if you're always, Come, if your friend calls you and says, hey, I need you to come do X, and they're always doing that, and they never come when you you call them, like, hey, yeah, man, I I, I need some help. Uh, my, I, my truck's broken down, and I got to get to work. And they're like, I can't help you. And that's all they ever do. You'll stop being friends with that person. Mm-hmm. Because while friendship isn't a mercantile exchange, it does require give and take. There's a back and forth. And that's the case with the elements. The elements don't necessarily require you to, to literally say, do X for me and I'll do Y for you. you There's know? a lot more nuance they, to it for most they, races. But, but they'll totally go with that because it's super, you know, as, as Joe has been pointing out, it's easy. It's, it's the simplest way to relate to these mortal beings. I don't have to understand them. I don't have to care about them, but they'll do, they'll, they'll get rid of that that like logging camp over there that I hate and I will, you know, give them the ability to, 
get into the cave of, of the water monster that they want to kill. Totally quid pro quo. But with the orc approach, it'd be more like, I see that your area here is getting despoiled by loggers, so I went and killed them for you. Uh, hope you don't mind. And, you know, while we're at it, I also made sure that this, this stream wasn't polluted. Oh, that, that was really nice of you, mortal. What, what's, what's going on? Oh, I could just use a favor. If you don't mind, could you get me down into the cave to kill the water monster? Yeah, that makes sense. He, the water monster is also poisoning my water. Sure, yeah, all right. It's still it's still an exchange, but it's not, you know, for the orc, they don't want it to be as like, a you know, I'm buying you. That would be insulting for, to the orc personality. They want it to be a relationship. Torin, it's even more so. For Torin, it's, it's, it's about, hey, I am also a creature of earth and air and fire and water. Like, I, I get it. You know, th- I have a part of that in me. Because the the earth is the, literally the ground beneath my feet is my mom. So we can, you know, I can totally help you with your thing and you can help me with my thing. Like, cause we're like brothers and the, the element's like, well, I guess that kind of makes sense. Sure. All right. And it's, then you look at the way the Draenei do it. And, and Joe made a really good point here. The Draenei view it completely differently. The Draenei view everything as part ultimately of the, of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. It's all ultimately connected. What I do for you is what I do for me. And Drenai didn't have Shaman until they had Broken. And the Broken were the ones who came to them uh, and said, look, you've never really considered this, but you can't just be good and hope everything works out. You, you have to be active. You have to be doing things to benefit the world around you. And by benefiting the world around you, you benefit yourself. And that perspective was, was accepted. Because uh, Velen re- recognized the truth in it, he recognized that his people were reacting to the the, tr- the horrors they'd gone through in a really negative way, and they were they were basically persecuting the broken, and they were exiling them, and not not treating them like part of the universe. But with the help of of uh, Farseer Nubundu and other broken shaman, the Draenei began to learn how to incorporate shamanism into their worldview. And for them, it isn't. For them, I'd say it's simultaneously the most and the least transactional because it, what you do for someone else is what you do for you. So if you want something from the elements, well, you have to help them because they, you, they're by helping them, you're helping yourself either way. And therefore, from the elements perspective, if the Draenei come to you with that person, with that idea, and you accept it, okay, then yeah, I'll do something for you because you did something for me and you did something for us. You know what I mean? That's. Every group has a different way of looking at it. The cult herons have taught me that it can be as simple as just respect because the cult herons don't really do transactions with the spirits that they use their shamanism on. Uh, I, I feel in a way, like cult herons don't actually have shaman as such. Do they? I can't they even remember anymore. Okay. Then a cult heron shaman isn't, it's, it's about respect. It's about treating the world around you like something you respect you respect its power you don't just come to it and tell it what to do you ask and in return the, the you know the the elements we say okay i did that for you now what about me and because you respect them you give them what they want you do the thing they want you, but of course there's negotiation in that and again in a way it's like goblins have the cheat code for shamanism because they they don't have to come up with a worldview for it they already believe that everything is about brokering. Everything is about deal-making. Everything is about negotiating. And that's what you have to do to be a shaman. So if anything, it didn't make sense, they didn't already have them. Mm-hmm. And if if nothing else, you should just view shamanism as something they were always doing and just not talking about it. Because why the heck wouldn't it be? But So that's my take on it. Yeah. Um, 
I, I really don't have any problem with goblin shamans any more than I have problems with goblin anything else. Um, the only the only class I would think I would just be absolutely totally diametrically opposed to would be shaman pal- would be goblin paladin because it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> you can't negotiate with the light. You you can't go okay light. I'll do this for you and you do this for me. The guy's like, no, I want you to be a channel that I can pass myself through and, and affect my world in the world. And I get the ability to be a channel from which I pass through and affect my will upon the world. Do you actually have a will? Not really. <laughs> what, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, I don't think it would be, I think it would be like almost antithetical to a goblin's mind. Like you'd almost have to be the nuttiest goblin in existence to, to be okay with this. You're going to get used by a cosmic force that in no way, shape, or form is going to explain what it's doing or even care what you think about it. Okay. Like, it just doesn't really feel very goblin-y. I, the goblins have priests, though, so they do shadow priests. So I was just going to say, there are, there are, in fact, goblin priests. So there is a possibility. Depends. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but that's the only one I would even like. I would even balk at, but I would always feel like just letting everybody play whatever they want trumps any game lore stuff. I would agree with that. All right, but we're going to move on to our next one, which one come? This one comes from Tillman. Uh, as Odin did, does not like the creation and being of the dragon aspects. Do you think he will get that? We will get to fight Odin and Dragonflight, and why? How do you think we will fight him? As warrior myself, I'd love for this to happen. My thoughts, if we do, is we beat him into accepting the dragon flights, and maybe a reason for unrevealed plan of tears for the dragon aspects. There's a lot here, uh, and I wanted to bring this up because I know Matt has all the love in the world for Odin. He is he is the best Pokemon master. Take up it. Matt and I speculated, a, and I think it was on Lore Watch. It might have been on the regular show that we're probably not seeing the last of Odin. We will see him again, and this this expansion would be a good excuse to see him again. One Helia popping up last expansion and kind of or in Shadowlands and sort of being unresolved is a thing that's still out there. But before that in battle for Azeroth, we know that he went back to Alduar and he was there when Mimron hung up the phone on us, when we were trying to connect all the Titan facilities to reoriginate uh, a good old friendly Nazoth, the, you know, as Mitch would put him just a friendly tentacle Lord. Um, we're probably going to see him again, if nothing else, because the dragon flights are prominent again, and he was very vocally opposed to them. It would make sense. Now, what that looks like, I don't know. And it might be a fight with Odin. It might be something where he shows up and tries to usurp the power that turned. Because we t- we talked about there's a possibility of us reigniting the dragon aspects, right? Like bringing them back to prominence. We don't have anything that that qualifies that. We were just speculating that that's the thing. That actually, uh, spoilers, but we do actually have something that qualifies that. Oh, um, and again, spoilers. If you are listening to this, you might want to jump ahead a couple minutes because this is spoilers. In one of the dungeons, the Eldamon dungeon, when you are going there, you are going there because Alex Straza wants you to go and find the lost, basically diary of Tear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. organ and that's Tears, and the reason she's sending you to do that is because she thinks it has the key to restoring the power of the dragon fights specifically well, to recreate the aspects. And so we, we don't it, know, we don't know if it actually does or not yet. Right. We don't know if it actually does or not, but we know that that's one of the things they're doing. And we know the infinite dragon flight is trying to stop them. And it's kind of like, I was, I was, I've said the other day that like, if you ask somebody a question and they tell you, you should really ask someone else, 
like for some reason, that's kind of like, it's not a no. If the answer was a no, they just say no. They're saying you should talk to somebody else. That means there's some complication to this answer. The fact that the infinite Dragonflight is there trying to stop them from doing it is a pretty big, why would they be trying to stop it if it wouldn't work? You know where I'm going with this? They see the future and they're coming to stop you from doing something. That means they think it'll work. Fair. You know, so I'm not, again, there is no direct evidence. This is an inference based on some actual in-game lore. And I think at this point we should move on so people jumping in won't hear it. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah the, I, I definitely think that it is going to be more for Odin to do. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to interact with them in some place. And if it is us finally fighting him, uh, I mean, we kind of fought him in the trial, right? Like we did the, that whole thing in the dungeon. Yeah, he tested us yet again. Uh huh. Well, I mean, this time I don't think it's going to be a test. I think it's just going to be us opening a can of uh, a can of whoop on him. Uh, but I would not be surprised. He is going to show up again. I definitely think that because we know Helia has ultimately escaped, she was banished from the Shadowlands by the Primus, but she's not trapped. That's I mean, uh, that's a good thing for her. She's not trapped in the Shadowlands anymore. Yeah. So she could be back in her realm, which wasn't in the Shadowlands. Remember, it was it was like adjacent to them, but it wasn't in them. Um, or she could be in the mortal realm. You know, she was banished. Remember, she was banished from it. But originally, before she was murdered, she was like a, just another Titan forged living on Azeroth. That was her. She had a life there before. And we her, know. And oh, we yeah. and we know that her Cavaldir. Uh, we're trying to summon her back to the plane, right? Like they were trying to bring her back. You come mm-hmm. across that multiple times. We're like, I think that was a- they straight up tell you, they like, you yeah. bring the, uh, you bring the, the token of, of hell. Yeah. That you get on one of the Island expeditions. And they're like, do you think she's dead? Like, no, she's, she's death. She can't die. But I remember specifically the very first time we met her, when we were dealing with all of the Legion stuff, when we we're dealing with all of uh, all oh, of Oh yeah, the, she was being summoned onto the planet. She was by being Herodia. summoned onto the planet. Yep. And now, for all we know, she's here. She could be on the ocean somewhere, underwater, messing around with the Naga, because you know she doesn't like the Naga. She could even have have resumed her mortal form and be living on Azeroth as a mortal being. Like, oh man, could you imagine? Could you imagine her and, and Queen Azara going at it? It would be interesting. Uh, I think that Azara would have a lot of advantages in this. But Helia does have some of her own to, to, you know, while Ashara is probably the more powerful magician of the two, Helia has a much more understanding of planar relationships. True. And also more connections. Like she's, she's shown that she has a lot of connections. So I don't know. I, I do think it would be interesting. I honestly find myself wondering if we're going to see Helia pop up in some future Forsaken quests. That because would make they would sense. Make extremely good. Uh, power block, especially mm-hmm. now that Sylvanas, who she made a deal with, is no longer in the picture. You know, we know that Helia's deal with Sylvanas was related to the whole jailer thing. Now that the jailer's gone and Helia can do her own plans completely free of any kind of worrying about that, if anything, she could become an even bigger mess. Well, yeah, she this is the first time she's been free. She's not beholden to anybody. She's not beholden to to Odin, who forced her to become the experimental child. She's not uh beholden to the jailer who's been completely removed. Uh, like you've pointed out, Sylvanas has got her own thing. She's busy dealing with the maw and cleaning up that whole mess. So like, there's nobody left for her to, to be beholden to. She's completely on her own. She's a wild card at that point. Like, we don't know what her plans were because ever from the beginning, like first she tried doing the, the right thing and helping out the Titans. And then Odin did what he did. And that sent her down this path. Then she and made the mind, deal with the jailer. 
Yeah, and keep in mind, Helia's death came about because of the dragonflight. Odin killed her because she wouldn't let him use the uh, process to bring souls back and create his his uh, Stormforged, which he was doing because he didn't like the Dragonflights and wanted a Titanforged solution to the problem. And he only knew how to do that because he forced Helia to open a portal into the Shadowlands and make the deal that he did with, uh, with Muzala to trade his eye for power. And not only that, All but there's, that. there's some other complications. Sorry, real quick. Who created the elemental prisons? She did. And what are we dealing with in, in uh, the next expansion? We know for a fact they've announced this. Freed elemental beings. Huh. The, the elemental primals and half elemental giants. What sounds like a half elemental giant? Could that be some kind of Rykul? Like, mm. like iron or earth Rykul that's somehow infused with the power of the elements instead of the titans? The whole be- deal of in Dragonflight, the whole deal of the primals is they think the titans and the titan the, the titans influence is a corruption that it's it's opposed to what Azeroth should be that it's being imposed on the world, which sounds fairly you know th- there's certain r- resemblances to things like you know the old gods and what drove Loken nuts and Loken is the one who freed her from Odin's control in the first place mm-hmm. and. Loken was later killed by mortals, which means that since he was dead, he could very well have ended up in the Shadowlands and Helia was there. So there's all sorts of ways this could play out. But I definitely think we might see Helia in this expansion. We might see Odin in this expansion, especially if we see Helia. She might be manipulating him because she does know him and he's he's refused to learn a dang thing in like the last however many thousands of years. So yeah, there's 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 a lot. I don't know that we'll see. We might not see either of them. And that would be unfortunate, but it's what might happen. But there certainly is possibility for both of them to show up. I would be surprised if we don't see them. All right, but I think that's going to answer that one, hopefully. Uh, we're going to move on to our last question here for the day. Uh, this one comes from Yarek. Uh, you mentioned so much about Dragonflight having connections to the power of the dragon aspects. My issue is that when they were given the powers of the aspects in Dragonflight, not on, on in Dragon Blight, not on the Dragon Isles. How do you think Dawn of the Aspects will be retconned, decanonized, or otherwise addressed to make things fit into the current story? Well, technically speaking, uh, Malagos got his powers as an aspect in the Eye of Eternity. Correct. It doesn't say there's nothing that says they can't get their powers from a different location or where the process was born. Yeah, yeah. We just know that they were, you know, Tyr gave them their powers, and apparently in the Dragonflight and the Dragonblight. But it's very possible that. That doesn't mean that the power from it didn't come from the Dragon Isles in the first place. Maybe that's why they went to the Dragon Isles. Also, because that's where everything Tier built was. And they, they, you know, they just okay. We Dragon Blade's cool. We've been here for a while. We certainly like leaving our dead people here. But let's let's go live in that other place, the magical islands with all the cool dragon stuff. Let's go do that. I mean, I don't know. I don't. But it doesn't have to be as. It doesn't have to be you know Dragon Blade or bust. Also, don't forget that the Dragonblight was definitely connected to extraplanar pockets of reality, too, right? Like, we know that going below them opened up portals into their sanctums. We don't know if there were other ways of connection to those sanctums. It is implied that there might have been, especially when you're doing some of the early quests in Dragonflight, that things might be a little more connected or dragons might have had a little more maneuverability than we expected or maybe have predicted prior the besides just flying places as dragons. We know that yeah. Malagos can be in multiple places at once. 
Yeah, and for that matter, we don't actually know where those sanctums are. Exactly. Where where, where is the ruby to? sanctum? Where is the obsidian sanctum? Were they in fact going back to the dragon isles and they just couldn't physically find it? Like they could only get there and get back via the portal? I don't know. But they might not have been. They might have been out pockets into another reality. Heck, maybe they're out pockets into another reality that used to be accessible from the Dragon Isles, mm-hmm. but then weren't. I think it's it's fair to say that we know the Dragon Isles were always isles. Like even when when Kalimdor was one continent, they were always secluded and, yeah. and sectioned off. Yeah. Right? They were always off in their own little place, and that makes sense because it would have been some place that they want that they would have been you know completely free of interference, like. Keep in mind that they were doing the stuff they were doing for a very long time and before the Sundering ever happened. The other thing that I think is really important here, too, is I don't think anything needs to be retconned or decanonized at all yeah, absolutely. for this That's for this work, yeah. right? Like, think of the Dragon Isles as the research center for dragons, if you really, if you really need to make a comparison for it, right? We know that Tyr definitely was there at some point. We know that there were watchers there, definitely definitely created in it maybe in Tyr's image. There's a Titan facility. We know that Titan facilities are often used for experimentation. We know this for a fact. When we go and meet Mother for the first time, what is she doing? She's experimenting. What happened with the watchers there? They accidentally created an old god because they didn't know what they were messing with and experimented a little too hard. Um but like there's nothing that ooh, says ooh, 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 hold, on, hold on. Go ahead. This may be what you were going to say anyway. Um, Probably. And if it is, I apologize. But no, no, no. We also, we also know that Tyr uh-huh. experimented without knowing what he was doing, and he created Galakrond. Uh-huh. And that's why we have aspects in the first place, because they bound together, you know, they came together to stop Galakrond. But we also know that dragons aren't originally from Azeroth. Dragons are from the elemental planes. Mm-hmm. They are elemental beings who became essentially kind of curse of fleshed. The, the drakes that we know, the proto-drakes, are kind of like curse-of-fleshed versions of elemental drakes, like the, the stone drakes you see in, in Deep Home. Where those beings existed before the planes themselves were created. There used to be just like kind of an elemental plane, and they got sectioned off when, uh, I can't remember his name, Raden, Master Ra. When, when Master Ra and, and Helia came together to make the elemental planes using the power of the Fist of Raden, they sectioned them off. So that the fire elementals, you know, but there was originally this plane where they all came together, and it seems like this plane exists for every world. Like um, Draenor, which which had its own elementals and its own elemental plane, doesn't have segmented elemental planes. It just has all the elements together, and because there's no Titan Soul drinking up all the spirit energy, those elementals don't fight because there's enough for everybody, and they're just super like chill with each other. But the Azerothian ones weren't, and that's why they had to be segmented off. So what if something like what if something before Odin got involved in all of it? Maybe Tyr was bringing elemental forms forward into Azeroth from the plane of ele- the elemental planes to create dragons in the first place. What if dragons are themselves a creation of Titan experimentation? Mm-hmm. And what if that's why Odin was opposed to it? Was because he knew these things are not. Like us, we're Titan Forge. The Titans made us. These things are just, you know, some experiment. You can't just give them like all this power and make them in charge. And yet it's the Titans themselves who gave it to them, not Tyr. Tyr opens a portal, but the Titans are the ones who actually empower the aspects. Like when when Norsdormu gets his powers, Amandul directly talks to him. Yep. 
And it's the same for all of them. Alex Straza with A and R and like yeah. so d- direct it might links. be that it might be that Tyr had a more important job than we realize. That whilst Odin was the prime designate for Azeroth, Tyr's job was this. Tyr's job always struck me as sort of the he was in charge of creating defenses that was never really fell under what I thought the prime designate would do. Right. The prime designate was to me always sort of like, I don't want to say a pencil pusher, um, but like they were supposed to coordinate the efforts of the other ones. Right. Yeah, Think of him as a project manager. I was just going to say that (laughs) they are literally, literally the prime designate is the project manager of the, of the operation. But tier always struck me as the one that was in charge of trying to create defenses. He's security. Security He's security. Project manager. Exactly. Security reports to its own thing. And the Titans are the, are the ones up top. There'd be a head of the security department who would report to the, the, you know, the, the, the board essentially, or the CEO or what have you, whatever the organization for the, for the organization is, but he'd report up. He isn't going to report to some project manager, even if the project manager is the project manager for the whole world. And you see that in their relationship Tier doesn't take orders from Odin yep. at any point. Nope. And when people come to him with a problem, Tier deals with it directly. Mm-hmm. He doesn't wait for Odin's opinion. So I think there's it's also there's it's also why Loken needed to go after him, right? Because mm-hmm. if he's in charge of the defenses, and you have and you have this sort of like pocket army of of gibbering flesh things, you send them after uh, the the thing that's going to be in charge of defending the world, and that's what yeah. that is, right? Yeah, he, he has to get Tyr out of the way mm-hmm. before he can rule safely. If Tyr is still here, then the second he's like, now we're going to let this the old gods no. out of there. You know, nope. No, uh, other, we ain't doing that. Absolutely not. The other thing that I think is going to be interesting is the tomb of Tyr. There is no body for Tyr in there, right? There's no remains or or anything like that. And we've seen Titan Watchers. We've we've corporeally like tangled with them uh, in meat space. Like we've done that. We've never found Tyr's body. We don't know what happened to him. And there's a whole other tinfoil hat thing that Tyr actually didn't die, that like he's just hiding and biding his time or licking his wounds over the course of millennia, whatever the whatever the case is. But like Well, here's the thing. We know that one Titan watcher supposedly died. We do. And his children rebuilt him and he's still around. Mimiron. Yep. So the essence of a Titan Watcher of a watcher. We don't know about all Titan forge, but the essence of a Titan watcher seems to be something that can be brought back. It can almost, be given a new form. Almost like they could have possibly gone back and maybe taken his remains, found his spark and maybe built him a new shell. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't make it too transformer. Dude, we, we, we don't have the time to do an entire transformer. <laughs> stuff. But in, in all sincerity, like seriously, think about this. If Mimiron could be given a new body, cause they didn't, they didn't just put him back in his old body. They built a new mm-hmm. one. And he's in it and he's, he's a little cracked from the experience, but it's him, you know, he, he, and he's not cracked because he's inherently flawed. He's cracked because he died and now he's back and, and he has to deal with that. I'm going to point this out too. Like a lot of the tears followers, they, they were pretty close with what the light, what's the light known for doing healing. Yeah. The- in fact, tears hand, the tears hand and the, the, the whole thing about tear tear hold, all of these things named after Tyr in in the Eastern Kingdoms are really central to the the Paladin organization. Mm-hmm. What is that Paladin organization called again? The Silver, Silver Hand. Hand. 
And what was Tyr famous for losing his hand to? Galakrond. Yep. And that's why he had a silver hand. It's like, there is a lot of possibility here. I don't know that they're going to see it. I don't know if Tyr is going to show up. Um, but even if Tyr is physically dead, like even if his body is dead, there's nothing that says his spirit couldn't either be reborn or hasn't already gone somewhere. Like he might, it, you know, cause here's the thing when the actual Titans died, that's what they did. Yeah. They did the exact same thing. They, they went out and in, and who did they inhabit the Titan watchers on Azeroth? Do you know what I would I mean, really, you know what I would really love to see? I'd love to see like part of the story arc be us like, Oh, Here's Tyr's spirit. We need to go ahead and shove him in his new mech suit. And then Odin shows up and tries to stop us. And we finally help with the battle between Tyr and Odin. I would be down for this. Like, helping Tyr put Odin in his place and showing Odin that he's a big hot pile of gas, I'd be a-okay with. See, honestly, while I would be okay with it, at the same time, I feel like that's too predictable. Sure. Like one of the things I would actually like to see is that if there is an actual honorable side to Odin, like, you know, cause he did, he did want to save the world. Like during Legion, he did want to help, even though he couldn't leave his, his, you know, halls of valor. He wanted to help. Like he, to the point where he sent a Valkyrie to grab the strongest warrior in the world and bring him up and said, look, I, you got all my resources. Go, go save this planet. You know, yes, he made me his Pokemon and I don't like that. But at the same time, he did want to help, you know, and he didn't have to. It's not like he would have been affected. Azeroth would have died and he still would have been in his little keep mm-hmm. forever. Fine. So I think that he, I do think that we're going to need to slap some sense into him, but I would like it if at the end of the slapping some sense into him, he's like realizes, Oh, I've let my, my ego get in the way here because that was the biggest problem he had from the beginning. He and Raden and Tyr were basically equals and it drove him crazy. To the point where Raden left, so he didn't have to deal with him. You know, Raden was everyone. There's a reason Raden's name is Master Ra. You know, he's the guy who built the elemental planes. Yeah, like when when Helia helped him, absolutely. But it drove it drove Odin crazy to see Helia go off and help this guy. Helia was like her, effectively her his daughter. He adopted her, and here she is off helping Raden do this thing. And Tyr won't listen to him at all. Doesn't doesn't defy him. Just doesn't listen to him. Doesn't he gives him an order and he's like, yeah, whatever. And goes off and does whatever he wants. Yeah, I would love to see Odin finally come to terms with the fact that he's been up his own butt this whole time. I just don't want to kill him. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, he did want to help. Like you said, I'm not saying kill him. I'm just saying, like you know, smack him around a little bit and like, like listen, you already had half your face burned off. You made some poor choices. Maybe we try and reevaluate this, homie. (laughs) Or even Tyr be like, you know, you know, Odin, stop this. We have other problems. We have other enemies to fight, blah, blah. I'd be down and with for that. For that matter, it, it would be lovely if then it turned out Helio was the one, like Helio was behind everything. So, yeah. But I don't, the worst part is, I, I, as I'm saying this, I know they already have a story, and yep. this is probably not it. No. But, man, I want to see more of this stuff. I would love to see Tear come back. I would love to see it, but it, it really is. I would love to see that confrontation or at least a moment between Tear and Odin because – they never really got to have it, right? Like Tyr oh, got absolutely. Tyr got hunted down, did what he did to save everything and set things in motion, especially with the discs on Reganon, right? Like he Oh mm, go for what if it. That's what it is. Uh-huh. If that's what it is down there. That's it's not his dictionary it's or his him. diary. It's him. 
It's it's like when he died, Arcadis went into his body and pulled out the Bart holding on to because it, who's the in- matrix of leadership. He pulls it out of him and then takes it to Alduar because where else is he going to take it? Oh, you mean Alderman? Yeah, Alderman. Sorry. And who's in Alderman? Who do, who's one of the very first Watchers we ever encounter? Well, besides Ironia, it's Arcadis. And who are who, who traveled with Tyr? Arcadis and Ironia. Yeah, no, I know that. Yeah, yeah I'm pointing. This is what I'm saying for the folks at home, right? Like it would make sense that they would also stick around there for so long, not just to protect the discs, but what if there was another reason? Yeah. Well, the discs themselves were the things they stole from Loken, but if they had tears for lack of a word, we're going to keep calling it spark because it works. <laughs> and we've both watched the transformers movie a lot of times. Yeah. Way too much. So Arcadis wouldn't think himself worthy. Mm-hmm. And he certainly, like, you know, if he tries to put it in himself when he's already got himself in himself, well, we already know that's going to be too much. So, and RNI is not like an actual watcher like Arcadis was. So, yeah, they, they, they bring it to Oldemon and just set the place up to guard it, to keep it safe. And the old gods knew that. Yep. That's why the Trogs are there, because they corrupted the earthen. That's why they maybe created Trogs in the first place. To well, hum- Trogs are, you know, Trogs are created from earthen. They're, they're a, they're essentially a a a devolution of the earthen. But think about but, it: the corrupt, yeah. the ones that the old gods focused on corrupting were trogs, which are earthen, which were tied to the deep places, and which exist also in earth in deep home. Which exists in deep home. No earth in there. Uh, when also who who what other dragon aspect uh, did they go after? Who was also in charge of guarding the deep places? Yeah, good old uh, Neltharian. I can't say his name for Deathwing. No, there, there we go. Yeah. But I mean, it seems a little convenient that a lot of their corruption seems to be, and even, even the, the, uh, looking at our, our wonderful bug friends, right? Our wonderful, uh, Silitha, the Silithid and, and, and the, everything the Arteer, else. The Nerubian. What do they the do? Anted. Yeah. They, they live they, on they dig into the earth. It can't be a coincidence. Everything seems to be tied to the earth. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it would make sense there because the old gods are buried in it. Hmm. <laughs> Sure. You know, it's, that's where they are. If you have a tumor, the tumor is inside your body, you know, and that's what the, the old gods are like parasites that have like dug in there. They're in there. And all the, the Titans did because they were afraid to rip them out. Remember, they didn't understand them. That's why so they, they sealed them go. away. So they, they locked them up. They turned various Titan facilities into prisons, both uh, the, the place that would become on Karaj and the place that would become Olduwar. They, they built, they turned them into prisons. They weren't originally prisons. What were they originally? I mean, we know that Alduar was connected to the entire thing about creating the Well of Eternity, but it obviously had a purpose before that. And we know that a lot of them happen to be either research stations or in the case of um, Titan Ungo- Forge creators. Like, Titan creators or Angoro, where it's a terraforming experiment or, or a Petri dish. Yep. Where where these facilities had certain key things that they were either doing, but they all seem to be tied back to, I, I, I don't want to say healing Azeroth, but there's definitely an aspect of it, and everything seems to tie into that. Because well, look, look at, look at, look look at Aldir, right? It was yeah. a facility trying to figure out how to get rid of Olgot corruption. But like, look at the fact that like these facilities tend to be close to each other. Yep. Because Aldir is very close to the, the Zandalar Mountain, which is itself a Titan facility. Mm-hmm. We had the big Titan lock on the top of it. And then there's another Titan facility over in Valdun, the one that has the other lock on it. Yep. Um, Meanwhile, if you look at, um, you just mentioned uh, Angoro. Angoro is right next to Ankaraj. Which which has multiple facilities within it. Which is right next to Uldum. 
which has also got a big Titan facility because that's where the, the reorganization. The, uh, yeah, the reorganization machine is right there, and they're all near each other. So these things were like was was um, Ungoro being used as a, essentially a test bed for stuff they were trying to do to like whatever they were doing in in Ankaraj uh, before it was Ankaraj. Like, because we don't know what that place was. We don't know no. what its facility was for. Because we've only all. seen it in ruins and we've only seen it post-corruption. Yeah. Was it Aldorus? Remember it would make sense. Know? Yeah. Yeah. But we don't know. Uh, but it was full of those, you know, it is, it is fascinating to think about this, but we don't, ultimately, what we're getting at here is that we got so far off track on is that, <laughs> yes, Odin might show up. And certainly it would be interesting if he did. And also that raising the dragon aspects does not anywhere else does not decanonize or uh, retcon anything that's already come beforehand. Absolutely. So, but I think that's going to do it for us today, folks. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions of patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast with the queue and an ad free site experience. Again, if you have questions for this show or any of our shows, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify the show that it is for. You can also send those into our various Discord channels. We have one set aside for our Patreon supporters, uh, as well as one for folks that can't support us on Patreon. Again, we understand times are tough, uh, but we do want to thank you for your continued support because without you, literally none of these shows would exist. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Uh, yeah, but- it would just be me in my basement talking to myself, and we don't need more of that. Very true. It would be really weird. But with that, folks, we'll see you next week. Watch! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.